0: Blog Talk Radio
1: than how hunter children to do. So glad that Hunter Children to join we one more again for We Show, Red Rhythm Radio. This year the oh, Queen oh, Quest, oh, head funding body of the Gully Geechee Nation. So glad that Hunter Chillin' to join we fun we station where we the keep up listening to the living legacy and to pay ancestral homage. So glad if I had it your chance for start off the Black History Month celebration with Hun Chillin already this year's program sponsored by the Gulagichi Sea the Coalition. Hunter Children can always find me at Gulla dot NET. And you know, every time we are coming together like this year, we're gonna dedicate this year's program to people who we going on for we. So we're gonna dedicate this program to we ancestors. to them. Who been the one? who been the first one? What been the did it during this year's time at the first Congress for the black people and things like that? Who gone to the South Carolina legislature? the Georgia legislature, the Florida legislature, the Reconstruction Congress, there were plenty of children, the crack teeth, and call them the day. So we dedicate this program to Sidney, to all of them back on Yonam, who we thought not robbery, but sent or just not even oneself, but for your family, and for the other rest of the generation will come, for having a better life for the other rest of the people who been not calling him high who, back then, they would have called them the Negro people, so we're so glad for them and for all whatever they done do for a life on the line for all of we for make sure we family going to have this chance to take a journey into what it is did under the cracky teeth and call freedom. So we're so glad we for this show for start off this year day the crack teeth for the thing whatever had to go through for fight for this year thing called freedom. Now you know plenty of children probably to say, Well great God he say this y'all. they're done to program. Yeah. Cause in a few days, whether I wanna leave 'em or not, it done gonna be Black History Month in the Your Nation for twenty fourteen and in the United States for twenty fourteen. Other rest of place round the world celebrate 'em other rest of month. Like if one of the go England, then then we celebrate the thing in October. Then I celebrate Black History Month now. So, for the one who to celebrate around the world. We're so glad it that hunter to tune in for black history, the black cord and civil rights. Now Punny hundred Till and probably wonder why it'll crack my teeth like a daddy, but so much a thing together. And why ain't tech these a thing part? Well, Hunter go around standing leewa. So if I make sure hunter to get on stand and thing like a daddy, I crack my teeth like a issue. So for all my listeners around the world to be able to clearly understand and overstand me tonight, I will speak in this language. And as most of you who are regular listeners know, this is Queen Quet. I'm the Justice and head of state for the Gullah Geechee Nation. Largely my focus is human rights. Now, we've done some recent broadcasts that focus on some of the aspects of this journey in civil rights that has happened in the United States and North America over time and the ramifications of various laws, various special orders, and such that were passed that directly relate to what is today the Gullah Geechee Nation, from Jacksonville, North Carolina, to Jacksonville, Florida, encompassing all the sea islands and 30 to 35 miles inland onto the mainland up to the St. John's River. Now, during the time that we're moving into the Reconstruction era out of the Civil War period, there were a number of acts, once again, passed but many of them put forth, not by the Anglo people at all, not by any stretch of your imagination, but by the African men, men of African descent, black men, Negro men, that had made their way into the general legislatures of the South. And so as a result, we had a voice, so to speak, in these legislatures. Many of you who watch Gullah Geechee TV at Gullah Geechee.TV, you have seen episodes of broadcasts focused on the history of Robert Smalls, who is referred to as the Gullah Statesman. Well, many times when you start to look into the history of Robert Smalls, you then will start to recognize that he was one of the first men from South Carolina that was elected to Congress. Well, this was the Congress that was going on at the time that the Civil War had ended and is entering into this Reconstruction era. So when we look at today, 2014, and the Association for the Study of Afro-American Life and History, which was founded by Carter G. Woodson, each and every year selects a theme for that year's civil rights, uh, that year's rather Black History Month celebration, and this year it happens to be civil rights in America. The reason that they picked civil rights in America for the 2014 theme was because this is now the 50th anniversary of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, and many of you who follow our blog at com, you saw. One of the articles that I wrote in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday, God bless the dead, and not only his work that he did in the movement in general, but specifically to St. Helena Island and the Gullah Geechee Nation, and the starting and the announcement of the Poor People's Campaign that was done at the historic Penn School, which is now Penn Center Incorporated, which is here in the center of St. Helena Island. Now, the interesting thing is because most people only think of civil rights in relationship to Dr. Martin Luther King, especially if they're looking at black history or they're looking at American history. Well, as a historian, I've done a lot of different research, and I've mentioned on this program in previous years and done some episodes, that 1964 Act was not the first civil rights act. Now, what was interesting is I want to read this piece that came out of the 99th Annual Asala Convention. And again, I want to salute all my folks and family at Asala, and I thank you all for giving me a Lifetime Living Legacy Award. I appreciate that. Last year, this time, I was getting all bundled up to get ready to go to D.C. to the annual luncheon. Well, they issued this statement to mark the 50th anniversary of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. The history of civil rights in the United States is largely the story of free people of color and then African Americans to define and enumerate what rights pertain to citizens and civil society. It has been the history of enlisting political parties to recognize the need for our government, state, and federal to codify and protect those rights. Through the years, people of African descent have formed organizations and movements to promote equal rights. The Colored Convention Movement, the Afro-American League, the Niagara Movement, the National Council of Negro Women, and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference carried the ban of equality when allies were few. In the modern era... Integrated organizations such as the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the National Urban League, and the Congress of Racial Equality for and Protected Equal Rights. The names of America's greatest advocates of social justice, Frederick Douglass, W.E.V. Bois, Martin Luther King Jr., and Fannie Lou Hamer are associated with the struggle for civil rights. I wanted to read that because I agree with what they've said there. But here it is, that we need to go back further really look at the dynamics, and some of you would probably say, yeah, we sure do, because how did Frederick Douglass' name get in there with Martin Luther King Jr. and Fannie Lou Hamer, and those? how did that get put in there? And then when we talk about the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, of course, that is the organization that used to meet here on St. Helena Island and did a lot of their planning and strategy that led up to them getting the Civil Rights Act even constructed, written out as a bill, and then getting it passed 50 years ago. But let's go before that. The Civil Rights Act, sixty six. I want to read some pieces from each of these for you tonight. Be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America and Congress assembled that all persons born in the United States are not subject to any foreign power, excluding Indians, not taxed are hereby declared to be citizens of the United States. Now, isn't that ironic? They made sure to exclude the Native people whose land they were already on from citizenry. So, again, the next time someone tries to ask me about the Gullah Geechee Nation and say, oh, it's like Native Americans, no, it's not. It's not the same thing when you talk about relegating people to reservations or internal internal human rights movement and self-determination. Internal self-determination is because we already have citizenry rights in the United States, but we also have them in the Gullah Geechee nation, and we have a right to have them. Very different dynamic. So right there, you have in 1866 the exclusion of the Native peoples of North America from being declared citizens of the U.S. All right, here we go. And such citizens of every race and color without regard to any previous condition of slavery or involuntary servitude Without regard to any previous condition of slavery or involuntary servitude except except as a punishment for crime, so now listen, slavery is legal in the United States still, except as a punishment for crime you can it's only illegal until you commit a crime once you commit a crime, slavery is legal, okay. Without regard to any previous condition of slavery or involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been fully, duly convicted, shall have the same right in every state and territory of the United States to make and enforce contracts, to sue be parties, and give evidence to inherit, purchase, lease, sell, hold, and convey real and personal property. Now, we've just dealt over the past three weeks with Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy. If you have not listened to those episodes, please go back in the archive for this show. You can download this show for free from iTunes. You should subscribe there. You can also go to blogtalkradio.com slash Gullah G-U-L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E. And if you would subscribe there or click follow, you will get weekly notices. But if you go back down through the various episodes the last three episodes of the series on Gully Geechee Land and Legacy. And we dealt with these laws and the changeover from being excluded from the ownership of land to being included as owners of land, from going from being chattel and a piece of property yourself to being property owner. Now let's stop for a moment on the Civil Rights Act and let's deal with the Slave Code. In 1739, the Stono Rebellion took place here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. The Stono River is one of our many rivers and waterways of the Gullah Geechee Nation. When you are in Colleton County and Charleston County, South Carolina, you travel around and traverse some of the Stono River. Hollywood Ravenel, South Carolina today is a critical area relating to the Stono Rebellion. A man named Jimmy Cato all right, it got renamed Jimmy, who was Angolan, had been in bondage on John's Island. He had learned that the Spanish king had put out an edict that any Negroes that shall escape Carolina and shall make their way to La Florida and convert to Catholicism shall be manumist and given arms and land, critical arms for protection, land to live on of their own. Land ownership, a major ideal. Being able to protect yourself, a major ideal. We're talking about escaping bondage in one area where you're being enslaved by the British to go into a place where the Spanish are occupying that are seeking people as a front line of defense. Well, Cato got some 20-plus Angolan men. These are some of the first of our ancestry. To gather, to get together, make drums make armaments. These are blacksmiths. They can smelt metal into the armaments they need. They then did an uprising called today Stono Rebellion. They then went to Hutchison store. They also got gunpowder guns from there. They had swords and axes and guns that as they marched, they cried out,
0: Liberty! Liberty!
1: Liberty! Many of you have heard me present, have often heard me present about Stono Rebellion, about Cato. And about Fort Mose, I'm very proud to say we worked successfully to get a true place of interpretation in Florida, outside of the city of St. Augustine, today, that acknowledges that these Africans were part of our ancestors from Carolina that made their way to Florida. Because when we started out, that was not the way that they were being depicted. So now that we have this going on, this critical aspect here, ownership, is tied to the Stone rebellion, because this took place in 1739, which brought about the 1740 slave codes, 120some years, 126 years before this first Civil Rights Act. There was a ban put on Africans reading, writing, playing the drum and owning land. So now the Civil Rights Act of 1866 is critical. When it brings up that anybody who had been previously enslaved now had the right to go into all sorts of contracts, to sue people, to, in other words, do things in court, and that things that were now legally binding, including inheriting, purchasing, leasing, selling, holding, and conveying real property. That's real estate. That's land. That's stick-built homes, as we call them, personal property. As I mentioned before, your jewelry and your other things, your mobile home is part of that too. They consider that personal property. Even though they tax you under the same time when they tax your land, they consider it personal property when in a will. So here it is, to the full and equal benefit of all laws and proceeding for the security of person and property. Okay? Now you can secure yourself and secure your property. You have the right to do it, as is enjoyed by white citizens. So if they're telling you this is enjoyed by white citizens, then that tells you when they were talking about when they said citizens of every race and color, regardless of their position in life before, that tells you they meant the black people, the Negro people, the colored people, these various terms we've gone through over the years, the people of African descent shall be subject to like punishment, pains, and penalties, and to none other any law, statute, ordinance, regulation, or custom to the contrary notwithstanding. Be it further enacted that any person who under color of any law, statute, ordinance, regulation, or custom shall subject or cause to be subjected any inhabitant of any state or territory to the deprivation of any right secured by, protected by this act, or to the different punishment, pains, or penalty on account of such persons having any time been held in condition of slavery or involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted or by reasons of color of his race or race than is prescribed for the punishment of white persons, shall be deemed guilty of a misdemeanor and or conviction shall on conviction, shall be punished by fine not exceeding $1,000. Or imprisonment not exceeding one year or both, in the discretion of the court, and be it further enacted, that any person who shall knowingly and willfully obstruct, hinder, or prevent any officer or other person charged with the execution of any warrant or process issued under the provisions of this Act shall be subject to a fine not exceeding one thousand dollars in imprisonment, not exceeding six months. Now, people who know a bit about the history of why the civil rights movement existed in the United States would know full well that the lynchings that took place of African men and women throughout what is now called the Jim Crow era, this period when Reconstruction was to actually go on, but now these types of black codes came into existence on the heel of the slave codes, the altering of the slave codes into the segregation laws, the continued episodes of land grabs, running off families from land, giving, destroying family businesses owned by black people instead of allowing them to go to court, take people to court. These acts of terrorism and intimidation, many of which will be shown in the coming documentary, the Wilmington on Fire documentary, That many of you, again, you can go to the archive for this radio broadcast and see when I did this piece on Wilmington on Fire with the filmmaker, Christopher Everett. And we're going to be showing that film this year at the Gullah Geechee Nation International Music and Movement Festival in August, the first weekend of August. Just go to www.gullahgeechee.info for the details for the festival and go ahead and begin to book your rooms and your transportation and things now. Well if you have kept up at any point in time with the stories, and usually during Black History Month in America, they show time and again civil rights movement documentaries, but they never talk about these civil rights acts. Well, the Civil Rights Act of 1866 did not hold up. So they came about with the Civil Rights Act of 1870 that they called, oftentimes, the Enforcement Act. This act reads very similarly to the 1866 Act. So it is as if all they did was take the time to vote on the exact same thing all over again. They defined this time from $1,000 to $5,000 for anybody who was preventing the black people, the people of color, from enacting having the same rights as whites. Well, here we go. Did that help? No. Here we go. There was another Civil Rights Act in 1871. This Civil Rights Act in 1871, again, reads similar to the same language of the initial act. In this case, they proceeded with adding the name of, or the titles, I should say, of the elected officials running the United States government. That they added that with intent to deny any citizen in the United States to do an equal protection of the laws or to injure any person in his personal property for lawfully enforcing the right of any person or class of person to equal protection of the law by force, intimidation, or threat to prevent any citizen of the United States lawfully entitled to vote from giving his support or advocacy in a lawful manner towards or in favor of the election of any lawfully qualified person as an elector or president or vice president of the United States, as a member of the Congress of the United States, or to injure any such citizen in his person or property on account of such support or advocacy, each and every person so offending shall be deemed guilty of a high crime, and upon conviction thereof in any district or circuit court of the United States, or district or supreme court of any territory of the United States having jurisdiction of similar offenses, shall be punished by a fine not less than five hundred nor more than five thousand dollars. Now they went lower and then to the high end mark of the other the laws or by imprisonment with or without hard labor as the court may determine for a period of not less than six months and not more than six years as the court may determine or by both such fine and imprisonment as the court shall determine. Now, in this case, you don't get life imprisonment. You don't go to jail for the rest of your life for the inhibiting of these people even through intimidation. The intimidations and the threats were the call to order or called the disorder and chaos of the Ku Klux Klan, which rose with Jim Crow, all right, during the 1860s. Well, did this help? No. Here we go. Civil Rights Act of 1875. All right, that was then passed by the Senate and the House of Representatives once again, stating the same thing that the previous one stated this time saying that the fine would not be less than 500 no more than $1,000, dropping it from $5,000, or shall be in prison not less than 30 days, no more than one year. Now how is it that you want to change to this? Okay, so now we're easing up more and more on the people terrorizing and lynching the black people. Now, it's interesting that you'll say, well, whoa, so all this happened, and this is what led to the civil rights movement as we know of it today. At the end of the Civil War, there were 4 million people that were considered to be black Southerners. All right, I mentioned before in a previous broadcast about how critical the number 4 was, 40 acres and a meal, 4 million black Southerners. 40,000 Gullah Geechies on these Sea Islands at that time, owning some 400,000 acres of land. But now many of the black people in the South did not own any land. They were not part of the Freedmen's Bureau distribution, nor were they part of auctions and purchasing land. So here it was that they were left in the wide open, so to speak, for the various attempts at re-enslaving them as the white men deemed fit as they formed their militias and their organizations and knights of the this and the that and the whatever have you. And then the propaganda campaigns, such as Birth of a Nation and so on, because as you notice in many of these laws and these became black codes, there was always a concern about being able to prosecute a black man because of the attempts of having sexual intercourse with a white woman. This is things that were embedded time and again within many of these black codes that they've come to be known. Each state had their own set of black codes that were in operation that seemed to be in opposition in many ways from the Civil Rights Act but these were allowed to be set up because states are considered home rule. So there can be the federal Civil Rights Act all you want, but if the states enact their own laws and ordinances, the federal government didn't have the total jurisdiction over them. So that's a whole other complicated issue, and we can all talk about that another night, and you can always email us to G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O. At AOL.com, we often get into that discussion as we talk about the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Act and what it can or cannot do versus the Gullah Geechee Nation and the leadership of the Gullah Geechee Nation and what our Constitution states in terms of the rights of our people and why we saw the need to have our own Constitution and to participate in the human rights movement. Well... Interestingly enough, the South Carolina Black Codes, which as they continue to make sure that in all of these states, these black codes apply to the people that they considered were Negro. That meant somehow you had one-eighth Negro blood. Now, since we're only in an era of people truly working with the quantification of blood type and the spectrum of things that make up DNA and so on right now, and they still are not where they can go with that, It's kinda interesting how would they know what the drop was, the drop count, the measurement of your blood was to determine what race you were. But nonetheless is how the laws were established. So they also wanted to define the rights of who were now called freedmen, man, woman and child who had previously been in bondage throughout this area that were now freed based on the emancipation proclamation were freedmen so here it was that they had a few more civil rights as i mentioned before like the ownership of property and making contracts and so on they also recognized marriages now and legitimacy of children okay but they wanted to make sure there was no misogyny so they did not want cross-racial marriages those were not recognized but marriages of people who were considered already black or Negro people, they could marry each other, and those marriages now would be recognized, where during enslavement didn't really matter. You said it, but they could still sell you off away from your husband or wife to somewhere else. Okay? So now they also had people who were written of as apprentices, and these were black people who now were going from being called slave to being called servants because they were going to work, again, many times for the same people who had been enslaving them before. That is where sharecropping comes in, in the Deep South. Many people did not leave the property they had been previously enslaved on to move off and go to other new places. On the last week's episode, that final edition of the series on Gullah Geechee Land the Legacy, I talked about the thousands of people that the Freedmen Bureau had to deal with in Beaufort, South Carolina, that were coming to the area to reconnect with family, to connect in an area where the union had taken hold, and to be able to own land. But in the Deep South, many people stayed. Mississippi, Alabama, all those areas, Louisiana, many people stayed on land where... They had been enslaved and never could get a foothold forward because the sharecropping came in. So you never pay off your books to actually pay off for the ownership of a piece of property. But now in South Carolina, there were wages and terms of service that were supposed to be put in writing if people were supposed to be working for you. And this way, everybody had their copy, and then you were supposed to be able to come present this if you could go to a court or law. But now what if you couldn't read and someone else was writing this down? How does that help you? Or if this white man said, well, no, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep the writing. If you ever need it, it'll be here. How is that going to help you? Okay. So you still had a situation where people were disenfranchised and disempowered in many cases, especially in the inland areas where there's still a lot of issues with this today in terms of ownership or leadership positions for people of African descent. So now... They had other laws that said that you know these folks were supposed to remain quiet and orderly and that sun up to sundown they were supposed to be working. They were supposed to be receiving no visitors on these white folks property without permission. They had they could only go about on Sundays. All right, and then they still allowed whippings to take place. So if you did not do the work in accordance with them they can still whip you. Now tell me how is that different from slave codes, but these are now the black codes. This is now after the Civil War. This is after the Emancipation Proclamation. These black codes took hold throughout the South, but here in South North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, there were some specifics in each. In South Carolina, they also had a vagrancy code. You could not be a vagrant You could not um, have unemployed people around. couldn't just have peddlers and gamblers around. They could be arrested and put into prison and do hard labor, all right? But then once they were put into prison to do hard labor, the county sheriff could rent them up and actually rent them back to the people who had previously enslaved them or their family members and have them work off their punishment. An excellent film that you should see. And you can even purchase it. Deals with the peonage system. It's called slavery by any other name. All right? So you need to check that out. Now, this apprenticeship business was one that provided another source of labor for whites. Black orphans, children of vagrants or destitute parents were taken into this apprenticeship program, even if they didn't want to be an apprentice. You didn't get, this is not um, Donald Trump here. You don't get to apply and say, oh, this is something I want to learn about or any such thing. They would just snatch you, take you, and then you would have to work for these white people until you were 21 years old if you were male, 18 years old if you were female. And again, they could punish people if they ran away or such. And all they had to do, provide food and clothing for you and teach you a trade. And then they were supposed to send you to school. But if you have all these strict hours that I have to be on, basically your plantation, on your property working, when do I get to go to school? How often do I go to school? How much do I learn at school? So now in South Carolina, these black codes establish a racially separate court system also for civil and criminal cases that involve a black plaintiff or defendant wasn't even the same court. You wasn't just going to the court where the white folks were. You had segregated courts and allowed black witnesses to testify in court, but only in cases affecting the person or the property of the person of color. The crimes that the whites believe freedmen might commit, such a rebellion. Now rebellion was a crime. Rebellion I know many of my listeners will say it seems like it's still a crime. And that's why so many black people are afraid to do, as Lauren Hill said, as I've danced to that song many times, rebel. Wake up, wake up, wake up. You might as well. All right? Arson, burglary, assaulting a white woman, carried harsh penalties. Most of these crimes, guess what? Remember all those civil rights acts that I read? Remember the little $50, $500 fines? Remember that? The $1,000, the $5,000 fines for intimidating, harassing, essentially lynching the black people? those little slaps on the back of the hand and a little bit of time in jail. Well, guess what the crime would be for you to rebel or for you to commit burglary or for somebody to claim you assaulted a white woman? Most of these crimes carried the penalty of death for blacks, but not for whites. I remember, there was a law that might still be on the books that husbands, and this applied to white men, could beat their wives on the courthouse steps on a certain Tuesday at a time, and it had to be a stick no larger than their thumb, and that's where they get this uh, rule of thumb thing from and all of that. Well, they could attack and beat up the white women, but don't you do it. Because now it's just punishable by death. They, they could steal. Don't you do it. Punishable by death. Rebellion. I mean, just looking up, standing up for your rights was considered rebellion. We already talked about the stoner Rebellion. How dare you take your freedom in your own hands? That's an act of rebellion. Now, punishment for minor offenses committed could result in hiring you out or whipping you. Now, some of y'all say, well, which one is worse? Worse, death or being put back into bondage? Well, these black codes were all put together to basically have slavery all over again but just under another name, hence why the name of the documentary that I mentioned. Now, there was this consistent move to control and disenfranchise people of color. Every one of these places went about defining people of color. Whether it was in North Carolina, they made sure that at the very top, They said, be it enacted by the General Assembly of the state of North Carolina that the Negroes and their issue, even where one ancestor and each succeeding generation to the fourth inclusive is white, shall be deemed persons of color. They made sure that they defined who was a person of color up front and then began to say what your privileges were, but then also what your punishments could be if there was something that you did not do, that fit in with the rules and the regulations. And there they had a section of their revised code that talked about the master, the mistress, shall provide for the apprentice. Remember that word again, diet, clothes, lodging, and accommodation, fit and necessary. And such apprentice shall teach a course to be taught to read and write and the elementary rules of arithmetic. And at the expiration of every apprenticeship, shall pay to each apprentice six dollars and furnish him with a new suit of clothes and a new Bible. And if upon complaint made to the court of pleas and quarter sessions, it shall appear that any apprentice is ill-used, or not taught the trade, profession, and employment to which he was bound, or that any apprentice is not taught reading, writing, and arithmetic, as aforesaid, the court may remove and bind him to some other suitable person. So see, the court is not awarding this person anything for their rights being violated. These rights are on paper but there's no one enacting and pressing these rights. So even if you come to the court and say, well, I'm being mistreated, I'm not learning anything, um, they're not providing proper food and shelter and clothing for me, or I didn't get my $6, all they're going to do is take you and put you in a so-called another apprenticeship working for somebody else. Okay? So here you have it where you, if your father's a vagrant, your 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 parents are a vagrant, you are an orphan child. You could end up in a situation just being this for life. Now, there's another excellent film, which is a dramatic film with Danny Glover and Charles Dutton called Honey Dripper. That is a film that speaks volumes to some of the so-called vagrancy law and these types of things and how they actually were enacted and what happened to people and how they got put into deep south plantations, forced to work picking cotton and all of this simply for walking around trying to look for work for themselves and how this was a racket, so to speak, with who then was considered the law enforcement. I know many of you listening and say, well, wow, this don't sound any different than today. And some might say it's different because y'all ain't got hard labor, you're not working a farm. Lie. In the state of South Carolina, in Georgia, in Mississippi, in various places, many prisoners who are in medium and maximum security prison. Once they determine that you do not have the educational level for them to put you in a job in the library or doing some type of microfilming back in the day and these kinds of things, they put you out on plantations cutting things such as okra, picking cotton, and so forth. As they don't feel you have the mental acuity to work and build furniture for many of these gated areas and resort areas throughout the Gullah Geechee Nation, they will then put you in the field on the farm. This happens in Columbia, South Carolina area up to this moment from the South Carolina Department of Corrections. I speak of this because I have spoken in many of the prisons, and I am now considered someone who is a threat to the South Carolina prison system because I educate the prisoners on who they are and their history. And so, therefore, they do not have the same recidivism rate after I speak there, so they don't like me speaking there because they like folks that come back out, commit crime, and come back in not people who come out and never go back. So in South Carolina, part of their black codes was also to make it clear that no person of color should migrate into and reside in this state unless within 20 days after his arrival within the same, he shall enter into a bond with two freeholders of sureties. So see, that was a way to keep control. Didn't want too much information coming in from the outside. Hence why many of us who are from South Carolina, who are honor students and so on, they gave us scholarships that wanted to pay you to go to school outside the state of South Carolina. They never wanted you to come back to the state of South Carolina and live here and actually fight against any kind of laws and any kind of disenfranchisement against your people now civil or human rights violations for that matter, because they felt like once you got out and you went to other institutions, you would be indoctrinated enough that you would never want to live in the South anyway, and you would not see anything of any major value for you here in this area, especially on these sea islands. So that ties back to the Black codes. It continues to be a perpetual thing. All right? Another thing is that you weren't supposed to leave without permission all right, from these different lands as well. So no coming in, no new ones coming in, nobody going out. So when the Civil Rights Movement started, that's why in South Carolina it's very difficult to find information about the Orangeburg Massacre, for instance, and various things that happened during the 1960s Civil Rights Movement on Johns Island and St. Helena Island. It's very difficult, other than through oral histories, to find out that there was a true embodiment of a movement to protect the rights of black people and people of color and poor and disenfranchised people throughout the South and in America that happened in this area. You think everything happened in Mississippi, you think everything happened in Alabama. Not true. A lot happened in South Carolina. There were various marches, various movements, various leaders that are even still alive today. But what they did was the state paper of South Carolina made sure to censor it and said they did not want to publish any stories on what these rabble-rousers were doing. The ones that were here, nor the Negroes and the other ones that were coming in, as they often call them, Yankee carpetbaggers, coming into the South and then upriling our Negroes. Hell. So they didn't want it written up so that nobody could find it, nobody could quote it, nobody could share it, and there wouldn't be an influx of Freedom Riders coming in. But there were many Freedom Riders that left out. And there are still freedom riders and freedom standards and warriors and warrior rest still here, yet living, still fighting, not only for civil rights, but for human rights. And to ensure that there is not a continuous return to these black codes, many of which seem to still be on the books and still going strong now. Here it was that no person of color could even become an artisan, a mechanic or a shopkeeper unless you got a license from a judge of a district court, and the license could cost a hundred dollars or more. Imagine in eighteen sixty five having a hundred dollars when land only cost a dollar, you could get land for a dollar, acreage of land for a dollar. So where do you come up with a hundred dollars? all right? So you have to look at these things now in Florida, where many folks today are still seeing this insidious continuation of this murder under the Stand Your Ground laws. Stand Your Ground laws exist in South Carolina too and many other areas around here. So it's just not called Stand Your Ground, all right? The laws have different names on the books. They're not listed as Stand Your Ground. But this is because people have the right to bear arms, and again, when you have property, you have a right to protect your property, and you have a right to protect your family on your property. So in the South, this whole hoopla and this whole uprising against the standing ground laws isn't taking a lot of traction because people have a long legacy, black, white, Gullah Geechee, and otherwise, with knowing a gun don't jump up, load itself, and shoot nobody. It's not a control of guns that's the issue. It's a control of people. And people's mindsets, and especially the stopping of racism, is really what the issue is. When people start to be distracted into these other discussions, it takes away from ever getting to the point of having the true protection of human rights or civil rights of people. And there has been these attempts at distraction time and time again. That is why I thought it not robbery for this show to focus on civil rights, black codes, slave codes, and what has happened with our people over time, not just 50 years ago, but 150 years ago, and how a lot has changed, but a lot has remained the same, because there are all too many schools that never teach this. So if we're going to talk about celebrating civil rights for Black History Month of this year, let us at first, have a foundation on which we start to talk about civil rights, and then let us talk about civil rights over time within the United States, in North America, and let's deal with then moving forward from the 1800s to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and whether or not civil rights have still been truly enacted for people of color, people of African descent. Have they done? all that they were supposed to have done? Or have they simply allowed for disenfranchisement of people under the guise of being allowed admittance into any place they wanted to go, but then losing themselves financially, economically, and legislatively by land loss and land grabs, and by them now feeling that they do not have a common cause to fight for, because now they're not Gullah they're just something, they're just black, they're just American, they're whatever that is, they're whatever that term for the day, as opposed to recognizing that your community at all times needed you and needs you. And many times you can attach to your community because it unifies you what you have in common. So here it is that when what we have in common is struggle, we got a problem because there's still some civil rights not being enacted. So when I looked up the black codes for Florida, it was very interesting to come across a paper that talks about the simple fact that all of this was the whites' way of still being patronizing toward people of African descent because they did not feel that the Negroes, of course, had the mental capacity or the ability to live as free people that they still needed to have some people to care for them and tell them and direct them in what to do. Um, The Confederates felt also they had no right to say they were people anyway because you're three-fifths of a human being. This is my property. How dare y'all say they now can own property and then much less own anything that I consider myself having owned, including them. So you had a lot of problems going on in 1865, 1866 that brought about This consistent effort to re enslave, this consistent effort to disenfranchise. So, the part of it initially was to limit social interaction between races of people. So hence why the courts were separated, all the segregation, the difference in the churches and the railroad cars, the movie theater, all of that. Florida, most southern states everywhere was banned. You couldn't marry anybody who wasn't of your race. Um, and then field workers would need a pass to lead the plantations and so on. And so even then, as you looked at the myriad of laws that were being put forth, these things were in no way carrying out what the Emancipation Proclamation said it should. So that's why you end up with the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. But I give you homework. Please go read the 14th Amendment to the Constitution and then find out what it says about slavery. Read it. Know the U.S. Constitution. Have a copy of it in your home if you live in the United States. If you're Gullah Geechee, we should have long since had you on the rolls and you should have long since had a Gullah Geechee Nation Constitution in your home as well so that you would understand the laws that pertain to your human rights, not just this enactment and reenactment and enactment and reenactment and reprinting of the same words over and over and over and the telling of you, telling to you that you have rights. Well, a right is only as good as those that enforce it. And if it's your right, you ought to be the one to do so. And so all of these Civil Rights Acts, right on up to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, still allowed separate but equal. After the 1964 Act, then you started to be able to integrate, but people still integrated into, but for the most part, life segregation still continued, and those who did integrate many times were treated brutally, hostilely in these environments. Many lost their lives as far of the integration process. Now, there was also a process to ensure that new laws that would benefit black people and people of color would not happen because in Florida in particular, in 1868, they expanded the criminal disenfranchisement law. The state barred from the polls any people with felony convictions so that this way they also could add what they considered a felony to be to the books, and then that way you could not vote for the rest of your life. So this way you could have less and less black people that could vote for any laws that would be beneficial to black people, that could be empowering to black people, that could enfranchise instead of disenfranchise. This again was to control the people, and this is still going on in Florida because many of the things that have been on the books since 1868 are still there. In 1865, was when their black codes first got on the books, and by 1870, from, from 1870 to 1880, they say that there's an estimate of 95% of the convicts in Florida convict camps were black. There are camps in Florida now that are not only convict camps, but there are also farms in Florida where people who are indigent or people who had left from South Carolina and Georgia, because I've gotten private messages about this to try to help get some of these families, people back to their families, are worked on these migrant farms and beaten and given drugs and other things to keep them there, to dig potatoes, to pick oranges, to do a number of different things, and they're forced to stay there and they're forced to buy from the store that's owned by the person who owns this land where these farms are. These things are going on. Yes, the federal government knows about some of them. Have they busted them? Many of them know they have not. And the ones that they have, those people pick up, move somewhere else, and do it all over again. So you have something that started then continues on, slavery. In Florida, okay, the place where so many feel they're running to retire to, all right? Now, felony disenfranchisement in 1868 Constitution was to make sure they didn't have a more powerful Negro legislature like South Carolina did. And y'all can type in things about the legislature of South Carolina, congressional legislature, reconstruction legislature, black legislators, and so on that we had out of South Carolina. And you would see why they quickly said, oh, no, we don't want this here happening. here," So they started to disenfranchise so that this way, What they ended up doing, and I've seen this through my work with federal initiatives, that this is still going on in Florida, that when they don't want community to really put people in place, then they allow governors and general assembly people that they want to appoint folks. So in the 1868 Constitution, they had provisions so that the state legislative appointment scheme could inflate the representation of predominantly white counties while deflating the representation of predominantly black counties. Y'all would call it redlining, all right, and, and redistricting today. And so we had this happen so that they could not have a Negro legislature, so to speak. And the fact that they've had some politicians in Florida who are of African descent who did not truly work on behalf of the people in the more recent years does not help the story at all, okay, then the criminal disenfranchisement issues of adding these things to stop the voting just continues on, all right, because many people who are felons cannot now get reinstated to be able to vote. And many of you started to even become aware of that when who is now the president, Barack Obama, first ran And then you started to realize through all these organizations, some of which were mentioned in a piece from Masala, about how they were trying to take away voting information. and The poll tax that had existed before, been done away with it, Reverend Al Sharpton just covered some things on Politics Nation about that in the history of the poll tax. Another thing that was being used to discourage and to disenfranchise and to keep you away from voting and being a full participant as a citizen, then when you would not go, then they would say, see, we always knew. They couldn't run nothing. They didn't know how to be full citizens. See, they need us to tell them what to do. So it's a conundrum you pull on one side, it gets tighter on the other. You pull on that side, it gets tighter the other way. So this is what this was all set up to be. That's what these black codes were about. But the black codes came out of the slave codes. These were the things that these civil rights acts over time were all to try to work against. And this is why today in the Gullah Geechee Nation, we stand for more than civil rights. We stand for the human rights of the people. So that they will be enfranchised to stand up, speak out, and to uplift not only themselves, but other people as well. So I'm thankful that we are about to journey into another black history, or as I like to call it, our story, month celebration. But all year long, I celebrate who we to be and think like a And I'm to tell you that, no, I the black and think like a daddy. The, okay, then. So definitely each and every week here we will continue our celebration. On next Monday night, our celebration is going to take place live, though, because I'd like for all my listeners who are anywhere within the vicinity of the Gullah Geechee Nation to make sure to come out on Monday, February the 3rd, to... Francis Marion University, which is in Florence, South Carolina, part of the Gullah Geechee Nation, from 4 to 6 p.m. at the Chapman Auditorium. I will be there. This will be the first stop on the Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy World Tour that I and the Gullah Connection will be doing this year. We'll be traveling around the world raising more awareness. So please come out. No fee for admission is going to be at the Chapman Auditorium at Francis Marion University in Florence, South Carolina. You can always email us to G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com also, if you go to com, not only is this event listed, but our various stops on this world tour will be listed there as well. So we will not broadcast on next Monday, February the 3rd. I am intending to do broadcast the rest of the month. But now, in place of me broadcasting on Monday, there will still be a blog talk radio program with me. And that is going to be to start off the entire Black History Month celebration. I'll be on Our Common Ground with Sister Janice Graham on this coming Saturday night. We'll be on from 10 p.m. to midnight, Eastern Standard Time, 10 p.m. to midnight. So please check me out on Our Common Ground this coming Saturday. And then I will be returning to the airwaves here on the 10th of February, God Spare My Life. And so we will then share some more with you. Actually, we'll be in Ocala, Florida, on February the 10th, um, so we will not broadcast that night at this time either. However, throughout Black History Month, I'll be putting up some other featured shows so that they'll be on different evenings at different times, but you'll be able to still Get our story, And this month we are going to be focused on black townships, Gullah Geechee land, and ownership. And so each and every broadcast will have that kind of focus so that you understand even some of the dynamics that were mentioned here in tonight's program and the importance of why these efforts were made to disenfranchise and why, even at this moment, the re enfranchisement and the protected enfranchisement of Gullah Geechee land ownership is so critical and why we are going out on this Gullah Geechee land and legacy tour. If you'd like to sponsor a stop in your city, please make sure to email us to G U L L G E E C O at L dot and you can also go to Queenquet.com Q U E E N Q U et.com. Queen Quet, the who I to be, so glad for taking this journey with we, for Gullah Geechee, land and legacy. Keep on celebrating we story and we history. Peace and many blessings. Power to the people. Keep taking a stand for the land.